19, 13 through 15. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Amen. God bless you all this morning. Uh, Today I'm just a skosh nervous um, about this sermon, just because in my mind it just... It, it, it hasn't all worked out yet, but it's in my heart. So when I get going, know it's in my heart, but I may not have it all filtered through the brain yet. It takes it a while to go from the heart to the brain, I guess. I don't know. But today is Mission Sunday, and in keeping with that theme, I would like to take the ministry of Heifer International and what we're going to do next week, the tradition of Advent, in our first Sunday of Advent together for me as your pastor, not knowing what you do for Advent or, or your services are like, but I would like to take Heifer International as a ministry, the tradition of Advents, which we will begin to enter into next week, and combine them and show how they reflect the missionary nature of God in teaching children the commandments of God and the love of God through Jesus Christ. This is my goal this morning, and I hope to be able to do that. And I chose the call to worship in Psalm 78 for a particular reason, because it's teaching what to do with the children. In Psalm 78, King David and King Solomon had died. The ten northern tribes had done went into captivity. And there was only two tribes left, and that would have been the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And the psalmist pleads with the people to teach the children the commandments of God. Basically saying... Not necessarily the commandments, but you need to teach them the ways of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, and the judgments of God. Teach them to your children and your children's children so that when they grow up, they can teach their children the ways of God. Basically, the ten tribes had sinned. The king sinned against God. God says, if you're going to sin against me, we had an agreement. I would be your God and your Lord. If you followed me, I would bless you. If you chose not to follow me, this would be the results of that. So they chose not to follow God and all their bickering and arguing. And God, true to his word, took them into captivity. So the psalmist pleads with them, even in this situation, please teach your children to love and the commandments of God, even when it looks bad. And so I see that in Heifer International. War. When I think about Mr. West, I think about a man who God had called him to help poor people. So at first they were given out in what would be known today as the food pantry. He saw that was not sustainable. So God really laid on his heart to do something more with these cows and animals and stuff to give to families and communities because they had been so devastated in what was going on. Adults make a lot of decisions that either blesses kids or, frankly, curses kids. That's just the truth of it. One way kids really get harmed is war. Parent passes away, no way to sustain the family, and it really hurts. So we either bless our children or we curse our children with things we say or things we do. And I'm sure as a parent, if you're like me, one of my biggest things was to keep my boys away from rock music. 
Because I understood for me where it took me. It took me into a bad place. So they would bicker with me. Dad, why didn't you ever tell me about ACDC? The same reason I never told you about staying in the ditch for eight hours when my mom and dad was trying to find me. I just, there's just certain things I didn't want them to go through. But every generation of believers, of Christians, find a way to teach your kids the love of God. In the Old Testament, it was through the law and the commandments of God. When they went into captivity, they built little synagogues, places of worship. They worshiped on the Sabbath every week. They taught their kids the law of God. Through the week, they would have Bible studies or basically a church service. As time went on, when we come to Jesus, he really got on the Pharisees and stuff about their worship. He says, you wear these big things on your forehead, and we have a little picture of it here, and you have these tassels on your arm, because this was a way for them to understand and learn the law of God. A lot of people really jump all over the Jewish nation about all the laws and regulations they have, but I can see why they've done it. For me, I make decisions that something bad happens to me, I'm going to avoid that like the plague, and I'm going to make sure my boys avoid that. I don't want them to ever be in the same situation that I was in, so I just say, we're done with this kind of stuff, and this is the direction we're going to go with. These guys wanted to follow the law and the commands of God, and they didn't want to go any longer into captivity, so they found a way to teach themselves and teach their children his law and his commands so that they would remember it. When Jesus come along in Matthew 19, when it's talking about the children, they're questioning him about God's law. For a rabbi or a priest or anything like that, if you touch something unclean, you became unclean. So the uh, disciples thought, well, we don't want you kids to go to the Lord Jesus because what if you're unclean by the law? If he touches you, he will be unclean. But this is an agreement that the nation of Israel had. Remember, they sinned in the garden. They decided, we'd rather sin to be in your presence. God kicks them out of the garden. They go to the mount. Moses comes from the mount. And he says, God wants to be your God. They see everything that went on, how God protected them, guided them, led them. And they seen the big cloud and the big thunderings. And when he come down and said, God wants to be your God, they said, that's fine. But you go intercede for us because we're not coming up that mountain. They were so scared they had an intercessor. So Jesus, being God in the flesh, says, God wants you to come to him. Do not forbid the children, for such is the kingdom of God. And we all have ways in which we teach our kids. One of the ways is children's church. Now, my wife comes from a tradition where all the little kids, at least one Sunday a month, sit in the service. No matter what their age. I don't know if it's for discipline or whatever. Maybe it's for the family unit. Other traditions say, no, we need to send the kids to children's church because they might disrupt the service, so to speak. But I don't ever see it. It ain't a disruption. This is the house of God. Either way you do it. But another generation may say, well, our church is so big, not only are we going to have children's church, but we're going to hire a children's church pastor and some people that can sing, and we're going to put all the children in the room, and they'll have their own worship experience of God. When they become youth in the bigger churches, they have a youth pastor, they have singing bands and all that, and the youth, they have their own service. So every generation decides how it wants to minister to the children of God to teach them the faith. And I think this is one of the things that Mr. West did, and I believe that you as a church do as well. 
Here's a letter that was written to Heifer International. They asked in their magazine, tell us what Heifer International means to you. A teacher spoke up, and this is what she said. This is a part of her statement in the magazine. I am a teacher of second-grade students. Our community is one of the immigrants, the very poor and somewhat uneducated families. I want to let you know that I love sharing Beatrice's goat with my class at Christmas time. This is the best-selling children's book that tells the story of Beatrice Bira, a Ugandan girl who is able to attend school because of the income generated by a heifer international goat. The children get to see what wonderful things can be given to others who are even worse off than they are. So, Mr. West, I, I suspect the guy who God laid on his heart to do this thing just took this cow, right? This is Faith the Cow. This is a children's book that children are taught in a lot of brethren churches about Heifer International. I bet he had no idea what God was going to do with him in the ministry. He just wanted to sustain families. But in following God and following Christ, he also took care of the orphans and disadvantaged children by giving to Heifer International. This ministry grew. It sustained a family. It helped another family. And now this little girl got to go to school because of one goat. To me, that's pretty phenomenal that one man, God would lay it on his heart to minister in a way, and God would use that to bless kids who were disadvantaged. And I believe you do that as a church. Now, I'm sure you that have taught children's church for a few minutes, maybe you're a little older now, but somebody's come to church and they shook your hand and say, you know, you was my Sunday school teacher when I was a child. You taught me about David and all the great stories of the Bible. And that person goes to church because you invested in their lives, you instilled in their lives the love and the commandments of God. And now this person as an adult is figuring out maybe what church he or she wants to go to because he or she wants his kid in the faith to have the same kind of teacher that he or she had when he was young. You've invested in that when you've taught children. And I know, being a teacher, you put all this study together for children's church, you're pumped up, ready to teach, and there's no kids in your children's church. That can get disheartening and de depressing. But if you have one, one child in children's church, invest in that child and give everything you have in your heart to that child because you don't know what God will do in that child's life in the future. Anyway, don't get bent out of shape. You got one, love the one, man. One child can grow the church. I see them out here now when they come in before, during Sunday school time, the little kids. I've heard Allie say, are you going to go down the street and pick up so-and-so? Now, it could be a relation. I don't know, but it's a kid getting a kid. Right? Invest in them. If we have one, minister to the one. God will do what he wants to do in the hearts of parents. It is our job when they come to give everything we got to them. And I believe you as a church are doing that. I hear it over and over again. How you've invested in their lives. And when they become adults, they want the same thing for their kids. Another way I believe to minister to children can be found in the history of Advent. Advent means his coming. His coming has two parts. A season of reflective preparation for the nativity of Christ at Christmas and the expected return of Christ 
at his second coming. Now, scholars disagree when this Advent really started, where it happened at and all that, because of all the readings in the early church fathers. But in the 4th and 5th century in Spain and Gaul, Advent was a season of preparation for baptism of new Christians at the January feast of what's called Epiphany. Now, if you was Lutheran or Episcopalian or some church like that, you know the word Epiphany. This means the celebration of God's incarnation represented by the Magi to the baby Jesus, his baptism in the Jordan River by John, his miracle at Cana of Galilee. During this time of preparation, Christians spent 40 days in penance, prayer, and fasting. So Advent was a time to remember Jesus' second coming. The first two Sundays of Advent in the early church was to remember his second coming. The, the second two Sundays of Advent was to remember his first coming. And the reason the church did it this way was because they said they were a fulfillment of what God had promised to the children of Israel. The children of Israel longed for the Messiah. They looked for the Messiah to come. It was preached in the prophets. It was taught in the law. So they longed for the Messiah to come. They didn't know when he was going to come or how he was going to come. But they were looking for him. But what does the believer look for? We don't look for him to be born, do we? We look for him to come back one day and pick us up and take us where he is. We look for those who are in the grave now who've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to one day come up out of that grave. That is our hope. That is our expectation. So we live in fulfillment of what God had promised the children of Israel. So here's a possible uh, First sermon that was given for Advent. And this dude is really educated and it really gives me a headache to read it. But nonetheless, I'm going to read it. For if the sun is obscured when Christ suffers, it is necessary that it shine with a most splendid light when he is born. And if darkness pours out on the Jews working death, why does it not now show clarity at Mary's giving birth to life? Or do we not believe that Christ being born, the Son came to a more lucid compliance when the clear star proceeded with the Magi as a sign? And if the star performed the office of day in a strange time, why do we not believe that the Son also plucked a little of the night hours by a more mature coming? From this, therefore, I think it a fact that night would decrease when the Son hastened by compliance to the Lord's nativity brings light before the world instead of the night consummating its course in its time. No, I do not say that night would be more powerful nor have any obscurity in which the shepherds keep vigil, the angels exalt, the stars serve. We ought not to wonder that in the nativity of Christ all things are made new when it was new itself that a virgin gave birth. But if the nativity exists beyond custom, and beyond custom, compliances are removed. Therefore, the Lord dawning, shepherds keep their vigil, angels exalt, the sun obeys, the stars serve. Basically, what these guys saying was, when Jesus died, when he was on the cross, remember what happened? It got dark, didn't it? It got dark and everything split. When he was born, the stars shined bright and covered all the darkness. 
So all these things, the sun, the moon, and the stars would all bow to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last. He's God. He's God in the flesh. And all these natural things will bow before him. And that's very, very important. A guy named St. Maximus of Turin preached on this, on the nativity of Christ. Have you ever been told that Christian worship, we worship on Sunday, do we not? Or Easter, or Christmas, or anything like that, is based on pagan rituals. Have you ever heard that? You worship on a pagan day. Well, this is very important because this guy is saying to these Romans, they believed in a Roman sun god. And he says, so you believe in this god, that's the sun. Let me tell you about your sun god. Even your sun god had to give way for the death of the king of kings and lord of lords when darkness came on the earth. Even your sun God had to give way for the star that shined in the middle of the night and gave light into all the world and directed the shepherds to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said your false gods had to bow down to the king and to the Lord and they had to comply and live to his will. I think that's pretty phenomenal that even these people in that day had to bow down and believe that there's only one God. And this God revealed himself in Jesus Christ. St. Maximus' sermon highlights the truth of Christ's advent over the false belief of the Roman sun God celebrated on December 25th. As Advent began to develop in churches, a Lutheran missionary came up with an idea. His name was Johannian Henrik Winwerk, 1808 to 1881. Now, Hefer International ministers in the war. He sees the result of war, and he wants to help families out, and by that he helps kids out. This Lutheran minister, he wanted to spread God's word among the poor people in Hamburg, Germany. He founded a school called Rough House to redeem and serve neglected children and orphans by feeding, housing, and education. To help contain their excitement leading up to Christmas Day, he created what would be called the Advent Wreath. It had 24 candles all around it, and the four largest candles represented the four Sundays of Advent. During daily prayer, children lit a candle each day until Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, all candles were lit and finally illuminated. This tradition spread throughout Germany and all the known world, and it's going to be a part of our service on next Sunday when we celebrate the first Sunday of Advent. What does this wreath symbolize? The evergreen symbolizes continuous life. The circle with no beginning or end symbolizes the eternity of God. The immortality of the soul and everlasting life we have in Christ. The four candles of the wreath symbolize the following. First, hope, which is called the prophecy candle. The prophets who foretold the birth of the Messiah, the candles usually purple. Faith, the Bethlehem candle. Mary and Joseph journeyed to Bethlehem. It is also purple. Joy, the third candle, the shepherd's candle, the birth of Jesus brings joy. And the candle is usually pink because rose is the liturgical color of joy. The fourth candle is peace, the angel's candle, the final week of prayer and penance as we await the angel's proclamation of peace on earth and goodwill toward man. And the fifth candle in the middle, and I don't know if you guys have a Christ candle, but it's called the Christ candle, the life of Christ, our pure sinless savior i'm a christmas nut i'm just going to tell you 
The biggest part of it is, is because my Christmases as a kid was so much fun. I remember how the tree looked. I remember the presents. I remember what my brothers and sisters was doing. It ain't that my mom and dad had a lot of money. We had a lot of gifts. It's that it just meant so much to me, Christmas time, being around my family. And every year I thank my mom and dad for everything they done for me. So when I became an adult, I wanted to give my kids all the experiences I had. We watched every one of the Christmas movies. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, You're Without a Santa Claus. You name it, it gets watched. The regular movies of Christmas Carol, Walton's Christmas Special, you name it, I watch it. And I'm not allowed to watch no movies until after Thanksgiving and maybe the beginning of December. Because it's like, Dad, Christmas Carol again? Again, you got to watch it? But I tried to do that with my family. We had a real tree. All of my presents have to be Santa Claus looking paper. All the presents have to be put in a certain order under the tree. Everything has to be beautiful in the home when I decorate for Christmas. I want my boys to have the same experience that I had that hopefully they give to their kids. But it wasn't until in the United States Army when I got to participate in what then was called a liturgical service. Episcopalians, Lutherans, Presbyterians. This is liturgical. And I went to an Advent service. When I saw that wreath and the decoration of the church, how beautiful it was. And they start lighting those candles and doing the scripture readings. Oh my gosh, Christmas took on a whole new meaning for Brian. I absolutely love the Advent season. Not just because of the Christmas time, but now when I think about God coming in the flesh, knowing me before I was ever born, knowing what I was going to do in my life, knowing what road I might go down, the King of kings and Lord of lords shined. And he shined bright, and he brought the shepherds and all the wise men, and he told all the animals to sing to this king to sing to this Lord, to sing to this Savior. So my whole adult life after getting saved and accepting Jesus Christ was revolved around Advent. I take my vacation before, through Thanksgiving, and then half of December because I want people to know the goodness of God, the mercy of God in my life. So I'm going to get all giddy if you decorate this church. It might offend some of you. And I don't want to offend you by all the little things what you might consider symbols or false religion. And if it bugs you that bad, I would yield to you as a believer as not to offend you. But allow me to give why I love to do it. When the church is all decorated and all pretty and you have all this Christmas stuff, even the tree comes to the point, does it not, to say there's a star on the top of that tree. There is an angel on the top of that tree. So all the goofy stuff I have under the tree. And I have Santa Claus coming up the side of the tree. To put the lights on. All of them look to the top of the tree. To the angel. That says good news. And peace on earth. There's a road I could have went down. I could have lost my boys. I could have lost my wife. I could have lost it all. But God in his mercy 
brought the Savior to the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah. He's my God, he's my Lord, and he's my Savior. And you better know during Advent, I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to thank him. And I got a little pickle here because Christmas Day happens to be on a Sunday. A lot of churches are going to go service because they want to be with their families at home opening presents. I don't care if you come or not. I'm going to be in the house of God. And I hope my family comes. Every year on Christmas morn, I read this story. He was born on this day before we ever opened a present. Maybe I didn't teach my boys all the right things because I do spend a dime when I go Christmas shopping. Ain't no doubt about that. But I want them to know that it's God who gave us what we have. It was Jesus who changed my life. Because all of us, boys, all of us could be broken, tore up. We could all be in AA together, reciting a creed. You boys might have never gotten married. You might have never had a baby. I don't know. All I know is that stars shine bright in my life, and he rules and he guides, and on Christmas Day we will honor him, and we will worship him, and we will thank him, and then we'll open those presents and say, thank you, God, for what you have done in our families. Maybe some of you have a Christmas wreath at your house. Through it, you teach your children or grandchildren the love of God as they anticipate Christmas morning. I'm a big kid. I love Christmas morning, but we had a wreath at the house. And on Sunday, I would light it. This is what this candle means. God came into the world. He appeared to mankind. Maybe you do that as a way to teach your kids the love of God. And for me, I was telling Amy last night. I don't think I want the church to think I'm always just talking about sin, death, hell, and all that stuff. There is a lighter side to Brian. There, there is a calmer side to me. And Christmas is my calmer side. It's joy. It's peace. It's the way we treat one another. It's love. It's kindness. It's mercy. And it all happens at the Advent season. So at Advent, I like to have fun and I like to be joyous and be out there and be with you and have service together. And I may sing louder than the rest of you when we sing a Christmas song. You may say, you really need to go to the back this morning because that's just disrupting all of us. But I just might let it fly. But maybe you do that with your kids or grandkids. We do it here at this church during morning worship beginning next week. Mr. West and Mr. Wittern in their calls to ministry... They've shown, taught, and left a legacy of teaching children the faith in two different ways and two different venues and two different avenues, but they've done it. They never dreamed of doing that. They just wanted to minister to hurting people. Isn't that all we want to do? Isn't that our call to minister to hurting people? What better way to do that than beginning with Advent? This is what the Scripture teaches. This is the legacy that they left. And I hope you and I continue to be a missionary-minded church by leading our children and our grandchildren in the same direction that we are led. Follow that star. God bless you all, everyone, and amen this morning. Let us pray. Again, Lord, I know we've talked a lot about Mission Sunday and the Heifer International, but what a work was done, Lord. 
in ministering to families and ministering to hurting children. And Jesus says, don't forbid the children, but bring them to me. I'm the Lord. I'm the king. And after all, the kingdom of God is like being a little child, just following you and just loving you and just serving you and being where you want us to be. And then as we get ready to celebrate Advent next week, Lord, let us take it all in that you're coming back for us one day as King of kings and Lord of lords. You're going to resurrect us. And let us never forget the work that you've done in our hearts, the work you've done in our lives, and the work that you've done in this church. Let us do that on Advent season and be grateful for all that you've done and who you are, Lord. We thank you for both men that was obedient to the call of God. And I thank you for this church who all the people that bring the kids in and teach the kids and decorate the church. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. Hear this prayer, God. Be multiplied, Lord. Be lifted up. Be exalted, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hear me now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.